welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Catriel Page. Catriel, welcome. Oh, it's nice to be here. How are you? It's a Saturday um, that we're recording on a Saturday, so I'm very happy about this. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. It's been a stressful week for me. Yeah, it's it's been... Um, it's been a week. Yes. <laughs> so, Catriel, who are you? Um, I write, I mostly write articles, but I also write, um, I make games on Twine and RPG Maker. So I have one in development called Denoctbloom. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. Um, the Nightflower is a translation. And it's an RPG with vampires. Um, yeah, high fantasy RPG with vampires. And different skin tones. I am so happy about that. Good. We're all about diversity on this show. Well, I figure if I'm going to have vampires, like, have you ever met a vampire? Uh, not as far as I'm aware. Not as, exactly. But you yeah. have met brown and black people. So I'm, I'm committed to diversity in my game. So <laughs> I just find that funny when people are like, oh, but that's not historically accurate. Dude, there's vampires in this game. Right. So. How did, is this, is this game your baby or is it something, I know that you have a co-writer. I have a co-writer. Um, I actually borrowed his character for the main character because what happened was I started using RPG Maker as art therapy. Um, started making maps, just sort of playing around, learning how to use it. And when I was creating characters, I started making a story and I was like, I don't know what to put in terms of character development in here. Borrowed one of his characters and got permission uh, to use her. And she kind of took on a life of her own. And that's what I mean where there's vampires in it. The original character was based off of a uh, tabletop game called Vampire the Masquerade, which she used to play. Yeah. Leave. I have talked to, I believe it was Aaron Campbell. Oh, gosh. I have talked to, I have had a guest who, um, who did play that. And I play it currently as well. Uh, the V20 line I ended up writing about for Pace Magazine recently. 20th anniversary editions. So for the guests who, or for the guests, for the listeners who have not heard, you know, the previous episode where it's been discussed, why don't you talk about the game a little bit? Vampire the Masquerade is a tabletop game. Uh, originally done by White Wolf, now put out by Onyx Path. And you play, um, there's different settings, but you basically play a vampire, one of 13 clans. And you can play all sorts of different templates and all sorts of different, um, I mean, it's a tabletop game, so you kind of can tell a story based on what you want to tell. And each clan has a clan weakness and a clan strength. But the system, mechanically, the system is interesting because it promotes narrative play and narrative design instead of, here's a target number, roll this target number. You know, um, it's not meant to be number crunchy. So for people that want to tell interactive stories around a table, it's a really good system. I know that, um, I'm pretty sure it was Erin. I feel really bad that I don't remember now. But I remember her talking about how heavily into role-playing they were with it because it just, the format um, of the game really lent itself to that. Yes, there's a large role-playing community for that, especially for, um, there's a separate LARP system for live-action role-playing that um, Mind's Eye Theater puts out, I believe. So there's a really active role-playing community across the world for it. That's so cool. Um, I've never actually done LARPing, but um, I always admire the people who do. I've only done it once, and it was at a convention. So <laughs> it was a very different um, experience for me. So your game is mm -hmm. high fantasy about vampires. Um, and it just, you kind of started doing it and it's evolved into like something that you're really, really working on and you're going to release. Yes. Um, we're in pre-alpha right now. 
I'm not, I don't have programming background and I'm not an artist. So I'm coming at this very basic. Um, I'm coming at this from a narrative design point of view, basically. I'm designing the story first. And right now there's, I'm working on the second chapter. So there's a prologue, the first chapter and the second chapter. And each chapter sort of has its own theme to it. So the prologue is meant to be short, meant to be an introduction. It'd be, it'd be the equivalent of a tutorial in most other games. Mm -hmm. And the first chapter um, is fairly straightforward, fairly Japanese-style RPG, Final Fantasy-esque in character. The second one, you're in a fairy maze. So there's a lot of uh, map making and, being, and doubling back on your steps. Um, that one takes a bit more programming work, so that's where I am right now. Because I have to track, you know, where people have been. I have to track how many how many times they've been to an area. Um, but we're planning to be three or four chapters. And we're working on it now. Um, unfortunately, my co-writer is in Japan currently. As of September. Aww. So I kind of don't have access to him. That makes it harder, especially time zone differences. The time zone difference does make it more difficult. And because um, it's basically a business trip for a month, he's really busy. Mm. So it's not like I can say, hey, can you test the game and send me dialogue? It's not really going to work out. Um, so because of that, a lot of the dialogue scripting and polishing up um, I'm doing draft dialogue. And then some of it will be polished when he gets back. But we're currently on chapter two out of a planned three or four chapters. So you're getting there, though. Oh, yeah. Um, I have testers. I presented it at um, expos. I presented it at conventions. And I do tell people that it's a pre-alpha, but this is kind of what RPG Maker looks like. This is what I'm doing. This is what I've learned. And it helps people get into game development. So what did you know going into it? Had, had you ever worked on any kind of game development before? I had worked in Twine before, okay. briefly, um, thanks to the Interactive Fiction Fund. And if you don't know what the Interactive Fiction Fund is, um, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, it's, they take Patreon funds to fund this, and it's a fund for um, aspiring game developers to make a game doesn't matter if they use Unity or RPG Maker or Twine or, you know, any platform that they want. Mm -hmm. And you make a game in a month or three weeks. Wow. And it's um, accessible to patrons first. And then, and then the creator keeps the rights to it. So the creator can go ahead and sell it afterwards or polish it up, re-release it, whatever they want with it. And the Patreon funds are about, I would say, $50. So if you're a new game developer, and especially if you're working in Twine and want to make a game um, or release a game for a game jam, you can pitch them. Mm -hmm. And if they take your pitch, you get paid, the, you know, you get paid and then you have to deliver on time. But it's a good way to kind of experiment with new ideas. And so I had a, pit, I had a pitch accepted on... Um, a game in Twine exploring magic and gender. Oh, interesting. So you ended up being on a cruise ship, um, a magical academy taking a school trip, basically. And trying not to become a monster while kind of figuring out what to do on the ship. So like certain wands will boost your uh, despair score or your hope score or your anger score. And once the despair or anger... Uh, scores max out you become a monster interesting this was a very interesting a little game um, it's fairly simplistic but i liked it for being done in two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and it really put things in, it really put development into, into perspective because it takes a lot longer to make a game even one in a fairly simplistic engine than you might think um, because people see the finished product usually, or they see very minor bugs. They don't see, oh, wait, you know, the syntax is wrong. Oh, I missed a uh, bracket there. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the worst part of development. Like, what is going on? Well, you missed your semicolon. Okay, great. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, that's what I did. Yep. Oh, I missed a, I missed a bracket. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and you look at it for like three hours and can't figure it out. Yeah. Or the ones where like the testers find bugs, but you can't. <laughs> and you're trying to replicate it. Yeah. <laughs> I run into that with RPG Maker a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we found this passage bug. What? Yeah. Or I even do, um, because I work for a software development company, and like uh, last week, I was encountering this bug, like recurring every time it would happen. And I finally got time to like sit down and f- like figure out reproducible steps and file right. a bug report for it. And now I can't reproduce it. Oh, that's the worst. I was encountering it, and now I can't reproduce it. So, yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> and you find out you develop your own systems for develop, you know, for uh, working around this as well, especially if you're an independent developer. Because when you're independent, you don't necessarily have large systems in place. Mm-hmm. You might not have Jira. You might not have, you know, a set system for bug reporting. So you have to make your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I use Google Docs oh, and Google Spreadsheets. Nice. Yeah. Because that way I can give people access to them. So I can give like my primary testers access and then see if they can reproduce it. And then we have a whole system going on. Um, we use Google Docs and we use a um, red, yellow, green coloring system. Mm-hmm. So green is fixed or will fix or pass. Because some things are marked as bugs, but they're really not. Because mm-hmm. I like people to discover, oh, I can, you know, there's a butterfly that pops around in this one scene and I can tap the butterfly for more gold and the butterfly leaves a certain amount of gold. Okay, fine. Um, congratulations. If people want to t- yeah, congratulations. <laughs> if people want to s- keep chasing the butterfly around for more gold, more power to them. Um. So I'll mark that as green and then yellow is keep an eye out or try and reproduce. And red is something like, hey, RPG maker freezes when you do this. Oh, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> um, this is a game breaking bug. Don't do this. Or this is it also works for passage bugs because for map passages, those are usually crucial. Um, so red is for crucial bugs, things that need to be fixed yesterday. Yeah. It's not a good system, but for independent developers, it's a system. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's interesting that we stumbled upon this subject because I actually hadn't considered bug tracking for indie developers. And, you know, if you don't have the resources to, like you said, use Jira, which is what we use where I work, or I'm trying to think of what we used at my last job. And it's I, I've banished it from my memory because um, it was awful. but you know, as we were talking, I was like, well, what would I wonder list maybe, but I don't know if that's cross platform, you know, like a to do list system. And you want to share it with other people. Right. Like you want to be able to share it. So it is, a, it is an issue that people come across and I want more people to talk about this. Um, even though I'm coming at this from the writing perspective, you know, I want people to say, this is my solution. You know, maybe it maybe it'll work for you. Maybe it won't. But here's a solution I came up with. I want more indie developers to kind of talk about that. Yeah, I think um, Google Docs is a really in spreadsheets is a really interesting way to approach it. And I don't know that I would have thought of that. It's the solution that we hit that we hit on um, because it was accessible to mm-hmm. who you know. I I could share it. I could lock it down. I could share it. Um, Openly, I can make it public. I can lock it down based on invites. It's um, for betas. I usually, I mean, for for testing purposes, I use Dropbox as well. So I give out the pre-alpha via Dropbox. So I use a combination of Dropbox and, and Google Docs, which tend to be pretty easy for people to use because they're already usually familiar with them. Uh, Jira, I'm familiar with. I just don't have access to it. Well, um, in, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it's Jira. Um, Jira. It is what it is. Yeah, I'm familiar with it because I used to 
be in Second Life, and that's what Second Life used oh, okay. for uh, issue tracking. <laughs> yeah. So I am familiar with using Jira. Just yeah, I mean, it, it is what it is. It is. It, it it's an extremely valuable thing to have, but I just I can never find what I need, and I I don't know if it's because I don't search well. Or, you know, I'll be like, you know, just like I do with Google, what keywords do I need to use to find, you know, this thing? And I'll type them in and nothing will come up. And then so I'm like, OK, we need to file a new bug and I'll file the new bug. And then like three minutes later, someone closes it as a duplicate. And I'm like, I don't I don't understand what I'm doing. <laughs> my, right. Jira, my, my Jira skills are lacking, apparently. It's also um, having things intuitively usable. And that's what I like about Twine was it was very easy to keep track of what you're doing, mm. um, especially for people that don't necessarily have a lot of technical experience. It's very easy to keep track of, OK, this goes to this passage, goes to this passage, goes to this passage. This branches off here. Um, I describe it with humor as um, a ramped up. It's a ramped up. It's a ramped up flowchart, mm-hmm. but when you click on a passage, it shows you all the links that it connects to, which is immensely useful. I was going to say for visual thinkers like me, that's really, really valuable. Right. Um, and I often demo it at uh, conventions as well. If I give a sort of introduction to game design, um, this is what Twine is. So if if it works for you, feel free to use it for prototyping or make a game out of it. It's also useful for dialogue prototyping. I found out. Oh, oh, I can see that. Um, yeah. how, do you, how do you use it for dialogue prototyping? How I use it is um, if I have a draft of complicated dialogue that branches off, I need to keep track of the conditionals and like where everything goes. I will draft it in Twine first and then write out the branches. That's really interesting. That's something that I've thought about with, um, I've thought about how to approach that a lot um, with writing a game in general, but especially when, once you get into that complexity of, you know, you have this character, you have your choices of responses and those responses will map to something different, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I hadn't or a variable will change or something right. like that. Right. Yeah. So that's that's really interesting to me that in you know, you can see it. You can see how it all fits together. That's so cool. And from a writing perspective, because I'm coming at this as a writer, from a writing perspective, it's immensely useful to see everything kind of branching out like that. So what kind of writing do you do? I'm a writer. Um, so it's, I like to talk to people about what kind of, I write the words on the, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I'm not so good with the words. Yes. Um, Especially speaking um, them. Not so good. Especially speaking them. My brain does the thing that it travels a mile a minute and my mouth is like, how Uh do I speak right and by the time you get to the middle of the sentence your brain is on the third sentence and you don't remember how to finish yeah I do that too yeah um I mostly write short nonfiction, so I write articles um I used to write articles and opinion essays for a study of anime I still do I'm co-chair of that site actually uh so I would write about Japanese culture I'd write about um pop culture and history little opinion pieces like that, um, and branched out into video games as well. Now I write for, I've, I've had pieces in Playboy, um, not the print version, uh, the site, the Mm -hmm. site only. I've had pieces in Pace Magazine. Um, I had a piece in Offworld, which I actually quite enjoy. It was on game making and poetry in Japanese, uh, court poetry. Fun. Which people don't tend to think about, but there were poetry games in the medieval era. Really? Yes, that's where we get haiku from. Okay. So, like, you'd have one person come up with the first three lines, and you'd have a second person have to respond with the second two lines. And you'd make chains of poems like this. Oh, that really appeals to me. I love, I love collaborative writing. <laughs> 
Um, that sounds really neat. Yes, it's an early example of collaborative writing. Yes. Um, and this was done in the Heian era. So this was done in like 940, 970. You know, the turn of the millennium, the turn of the first millennium to mm -hmm. the second. And it's collaborative writing. And I likened it to a lot of independent game making where you do have collaborative writing and you have to track, um, you know, you have your short solo jams, you have your haiku, um, and you can chain those together based mm -hmm. on theme or something like that. And then you have the bigger projects, which requires more collaboration. So you have the, uh, the group chain. So you have to have like one person comes up with, you know, this piece of dialogue and then another person has to write this character responding to it or has to write the villain, you know, responding to a certain piece of a uh, certain scene, certain cutscene. It scales. That's so interesting. So that's a piece I'm particularly proud of. <laughs> I'm going to have to. So I have read your articles in the past, but that's not one that I've read. So I will definitely put that in the show notes so listeners can find it, too. Yeah. And Offworld earlier had done earlier to that article had done a piece on hip hop uh, being used to learn programming. Mm, that uh, My friend and past less than or equal guest Sharif Jackson wrote that. Yeah, Sharif yeah. Jackson wrote that. So um I ended up, I didn't quote the article, but I linked it because it's a similar thing. Hip hop and songs were based off of poetry. Mm -hmm. They're very similar. Mm -hmm. So kind of strengthens the argument there. Like, yeah, poetry and game making. It's a thing. It all goes together. All goes together. <laughs> so... One thing, um, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. Um, so one thing that I encounter um, is that I find different specializations of writing take different mindsets. So, um, you know, I'm a technical writer for my day job. I do um, user guides and knowledge-based articles, and I like examine text in the app and try to make it as user-friendly as possible and that kind of thing. Um, but that's a completely different kind of writing than marketing writing or writing articles for Offworld or writing for my blog or poetry or that kind of thing. So you have you have to have different kinds of skill sets and different kinds of um, mindsets to be able to do these different kinds of writing. Do you find that's true for you, too? I find it's mostly true. But at the same time. For example, technical documentation, you still want to be easy to read. Mm -hmm. So um, there's this emphasis on user experience and user design that I think threads a lot of the writing together. Mm. Uh, marketing does take a different skill set, I think. But there's this sense of making it easy for the reader to understand even difficult concepts that appear in a lot of my articles as well. Um, I do presentations. I lecture on Japanese culture as well. So I also have to do that um, in my presentations. So they take different skill sets, but I don't want to say different mindset in a lot of cases. That's true. I mean, if, if people don't understand what you're writing, you're out of luck like you're, you're out of luck it's, yeah, it's you're not doing day. your job i was gonna say it's something else but this is a pg show um you're uh you're you're gonna have to watch out yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i mean so my bachelor's degree is in technical writing one of the first things you know you learn when you are formally trained for technical writing mm -hmm. is you have to analyze your audience like who who are you writing this for? And that's true of all types of writing. You're absolutely right. 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 My undergrad was just generic English um, and creative writing, which is interesting because my college had poetry workshops and a lot of English majors were encouraged to take the poetry workshops, not, not because of their love of poetry necessarily, but because the emphasis on adhering to a strict form and word count often helped with the writing down the line, no matter what kind of writing it was. So if you had, um, 
I know a writer earlier who was working on a review who had to keep it under 300 words. Wow. Yeah. That's not a lot of words. No, it's not. So they had to do a full review of a piece in under 300 words. And, and I was talking with them and I was just like, this is where, you know, flexing those poetry muscles come in handy because you're adhering to a strict word count <laughs> and you have to make every word count mm-hmm. in that word count. So even if you're doing technical documentation, because I've done documentation before in other projects, usually as an aside um, to the main project, create this database, also create the documentation for it. Yay. Yay. <laughs> um, which I actually liked doing, believe it or not. Um, there's this idea that if every word counts, then you get more active with your writing. Mm. And it's usually easier to understand in the end. That's one thing I I really, I think why Twitter clicks for me is because um, my formal education and also my day-to-day is all about being succinct and to the point. Um, and so that's, I think that's a lot of why I prefer Twitter to like Facebook and other, um, other mediums where you can be far more verbose because, um, like, I don't know, I get this certain sense of satisfaction when my tweet is exactly 140 characters. I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't know what that is, but I, it's like, yes, I won. I won the Twitter game. It's like, well, this is a PG show. I was going to say it's like, um. It's like blackjack almost. <laughs> yes, I got 21. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, uh, I don't even remember where I was going, but I think. The, the clarity and succinctness of poetry can help with other disciplines yeah, of writing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's something that, I, I don't know, we don't, we don't see the value of so much in society. We really don't, but at the same time, it helped me. And Twitter does help as well, um, because you have to be so focused on the character count. Yeah. So in a sense, it kind of ties back in. I prefer Twitter, um, partially for that reason. But some people who are a little bit more verbose don't like it. Um, Also, because it's not good for... Nuance. It's not good for nuance. you can do storifies, which help. You could storify a series of tweets, and that, that does help, so it's all in one link. But um, it has its strengths. It has its weaknesses. It's also the internet, so, you know, it's good for cat pictures. <laughs> My favorite thing is to be like, okay, okay, Twitter, send me cute animal pictures. And people do, and I love it when people send me cute animal pictures, so, yeah. I discovered, um, I have an iPhone, so I discovered um, there's an application that does ambient sounds uh-huh. called MyNoise, okay. and you can have it in the browser too, but it has a cat equalizer. It has a cat equalizer? It has an, yeah, it has a cat purr, and you can equalize it uh. out. Okay, all right. Next time I'm really stressed, I'm going to use that app. I mean, what's better than cat purrs? Now, what people have done was they mixed it with, like, the fireplace sound. (laughs) It's, like, the best thing for working. It's just like, oh, I'm getting so stressed. Oh, cat. (laughs) (laughs) I love It's like the (laughs) anti-Hulk. That's amazing. Okay. I'm going to have to remember that because, gosh, I don't deal well with stress. (laughs) Right. It's like a magic stress page sound thing it's like so awesome just be careful you don't fall asleep i mean (laughs) yeah yeah i could use more sleep too so i don't know i think everybody could probably use more sleep so mix it with pink floyd or something (laughs) pink floyd helps helps put me to sleep but on wish you were here i'll fall asleep interesting yeah yeah I, i have rain sounds that also works. Rainy days make me so sleepy. Not that I don't get a lot of them in Phoenix. So, 
Um, oh, I used to live in Oklahoma, so I I understand. <laughs> like rain, finally water. Well, that's weird. What is the stuff falling from the sky? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. So what is it like? I have never written an article for somewhere like Offworld. Um, I have one coming up in the pipeline. Um, once I figure out what I want to write about, I have been asked to. Um, not for Offworld, but so so what is that process like? Okay, so you usually have to pitch a place, um, no matter where it is. And pitches are very difficult for me because you have to be specific, but you also have to be very short. It's essentially a query letter, what a query letter is to longer works like a novel. Um, or it's like a proposal of, I want to write about X. Okay. Just saying X isn't enough. You have to say, I want to write about, um, let's take, for example, something I pitched in the pipeline earlier. I want to write about Metal Gear Solid 5. Great. What about Metal Gear Solid 5 do you want to write about? That's where you have to get specific. Uh, it's not enough to just say, I want to write about this game. I want to write about this property. Uh, you have to say, I want to take a look at um, the intersection between language and imperialism, which is is discussed in Metal Gear Solid 5, believe it or not. Um, and if possible, say, I have three points I want to get to. You don't have to say what those points are. You could just say, I want to make a list, or I want to have, I have these certain points that I want to discuss, or I'm using case studies, or I'm going to interview people if possible. The less work the editor has to do in figuring out if the pitch is a good fit for their venue, the more the, the, the less work they have to do to figure out what you mean, the more likely you will get accepted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which sounds kind of bad, but it's really not. <laughs> Editing is hard work. Editing is hard work, <laughs> and they're, they're getting all of these pitches every day. So the more specific you can be, or the more interesting you are, the more likely they are to take a second look at you. Okay. Well, and it also also shows that you you actually know what you're going to write. Like, write about, which write. is very very useful. Yes. Yeah. And again, going back to editors are very busy. They don't they don't necessarily. I'm sure some do, um, but they don't necessarily have the time to or want to take out to be like, oh hey, do you mean this? Like they don't necessarily have the time for that. Right. Or you know. Oh, your article's half done. I think you need to take it in this direction. Or, you know, that's not um, that's not what they want to do in the middle of the process. They want to make sure that you you know where you're going. And it's okay if it changes, but you have to keep open communication with the editor. Mm -hmm. It also depends on where you're submitting to. Um, a lot of the larger venues, being as specific as possible in delivering on time, that's all they ask. If, but you have to kind of back it up. Um, even if you're writing an opinion piece, source, source as much as you can. Mm -hmm. um, also in the pitch, a lot of people skip this part. Even if you have no clips to show, tell them why you're probably a good person for that particular piece. So for example, from Metal Gear Solid 5, right? Say you have no previous writing to send along mm -hmm. saying, okay, I've had, you know, I've had writing published here, here, and here. You can say, I'm a military dependent, or I used to live on an Air Force base, or I'm interested in military history. And so I've been researching, you know, these actions, or I'm interested in, the, you know, these countries. And so I'm researching their history. You don't necessarily have to be an academic or a researcher or already have tons of writing published, but having the editor have an idea of why you're a good person for that particular project also helps. Okay. So like on the piece for Japanese poetry and game making, right? I mentioned that I present on Japanese culture and I brought up the study of anime site that I had that um, my co-writer and 
I co-chair. Mm-hmm. So for that particular piece, that was also useful to have and mention because it showed why I was a good person to be writing that particular piece. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. It absolutely does. But for a lot of writers who don't have, who are just starting out and don't have clips, uh, clips are what we call previous bits of writing. <laughs> this is your support for, yeah, to like, support. I can write, look, I can write. I can write, seriously. I can put words on a thing and people <laughs> read them. Um, and they make sense, usually. Usually they do. Yeah. It's a good idea to start collecting clips or having a blog. If you want to get into writing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even if like nobody reads the blog, you can at least show people, hey, you know, I write, I write the things and people can actually take a look at your writing in a semi-public area um, instead of you having to write on spec right. all the time. And then when you do write on spec, you can have something to kind of bolster your, um, your case for, I'm a good writer, I should be hired for this project. There's also venues, if you, can, if you can do this, there's also venues such as Haywire, which I am editor-in-chief, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, there's Haywire, there's Unwinnable, there's a bunch of other sites that don't necessarily um, pay, but are, are good for writers starting out because the editors do have time to help you and guide you through the process. So you learn a lot about writing and editing and the back and forth between between the two um, when you're just starting out. So you, you're talking about editing, so... And writing as well. But like from an editor's point of view, we get a lot of things and we don't often have the time to help you if it's large, if it's like a large uh, company. Um, for smaller venues, they usually do have the time or um, are meant to help fledgling writers, so to speak, um, graduate to paying venues because a lot, of, a lot of beginning writers don't know how to pitch. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to structure an argument um, or write an opinion piece or write on spec or do um, consistent columns, for example. And so a lot of these venues um, can help with that. And can help you develop a portfolio. But, you know, a grain of salt, they often don't pay. Um, So for writers that aren't college, great. Check them out. For writers that need the money, check out other sites. Yeah, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. And sometimes you will find editors that will be willing to work with writers. um, Especially if the article seems very interesting. And they want to personally see it Mm -hmm. just to see how it turns out. I have an article on the pipeline that I pitched to Offworld. And the response was, I'm willing to work with you on this because it sounds interesting. It was a piece on um, aesthetics and second life and how people will spend actual money to change the virtual surroundings to kind of correlate with the passage of time. So, like, there's full moon festivals that go on. Okay. There's, um, I've seen people decorate their uh, virtual place, if you will, with fall, you know, with fall, um, you know, they'll have pumpkins everywhere or they'll have wreaths on the door. But in a virtual environment, you know, is this out of a sense of control or aesthetics or why do people do this? So I wanted to get case studies on why people wanted to change based on passage of time for a virtual environment that it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a very abstract article, really. But I was lucky enough when I pitched it that, um, that the response was, I think this is interesting and I'm willing to see what, what goes on with this. And I know I'm lucky in that not, not that it doesn't happen to a lot of people. (laughs) Um, Usually it's just, what? <laughs> well, it's interesting though because I'm thinking about you know I've played World of Warcraft. Um, right now I'm I'm into Splatoon. Um, I love Splatoon because I can pick it up for five minutes when I need a break, and then I can put it back down. Oh, Splatoon again. is great for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 
it's um and it's pretty much the only game I'm playing right now because I don't really have hours to get immersed in a game. Um, but it's like, okay, you know, different in a lot of games, like the different articles of equipment or different pieces of equipment have different abilities. And I'll be like, okay, well, I want to spec, you know, in Splatoon, I want to spec uh, swim speed and um, ink recovery and bomb detection or whatever. Right. And, mm-hmm. But I will go through, and if that piece of clothing is ugly, I will not equip it. So I have an interesting story about that, especially clothing customization in MMOs. There was an entire set of armor and clothing um, that's, that was able to be crafted in Guild Wars 2. Okay. And it looked so ugly <laughs> and so revealing that I just completely like crafted past that level and didn't bother crafting anything at that level. Because <laughs> I didn't want to craft well, it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. And so I know your article is about, you know, the surroundings and not the actual like, character, but it's like, why do I care? <laughs> you know, why? It's like, oh, but it's specced for, uh, for this. I'm like, I don't really care. It looks bad. Right. I'm not worried. <laughs> like, that. why do I care? I don't know. <laughs> and I think it's just, you know, I, I don't know. We put. We put pieces of ourselves into everything we do, and and like the two games I have for my th- the two games I have for my 3ds because I don't really play a lot of full console games. Mm-hmm. I usually have handhelds. The games that I play most on my 3ds are Animal Crossing, okay, Persona Q, okay. So you have the game that takes hours and hours and hours, and then you have Persona Q. Mm-hmm. I mean, because <laughs> Animal Crossing, yeah, it can pick it up for 10 minutes and then you find yourself four hours later right <laughs> time sucker going i want to make the cafe so i have to build up some coins <laughs> but animal crossing and a lot of mmos do have the environmental um surrounding changes mm-hmm. so like for the seasons i'll usually have like a winter festival or something going on um animal crossing has when it's springtime there's you know the trees bloom. So there's cherry trees everywhere, which is actually kind of adorable yeah. and, and sweet and everything's pink, but um, it's kind of a neat little feature. But at the same time, it's like, why do we care? Why is this a thing? I mean, for MMOs, you can explain it as, you know, there's lots of activities and side games that happen. Little fun, little festival type armor you can get or hats or whatever the game has but at the same time why do we care if all of a sudden there's snow on the ground in a virtual world i think it's all well games are all about emotional connection right like that's what i would like to think yes and so reflecting that right yeah Yeah, it, it it having those similarities to what's going on in the world around us can help with, um, with connecting emotionally to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Now I I just really want to play world of Warcraft. I'm like, it's almost October. All the Halloween stuff's going to happen. All the brew fest. Oh, well, well, it's been, it's been ages since I've uh, played world of Warcraft. I used to run a belfit in. So, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, Said co-writer Charles uh, is recovering, uh, recovering from World of Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't have the time for it anymore. I I like it. I I really do like it. Um, I like. I've never been in a guild. I don't like, you know, I don't play it to play with other people. But I like that immersive storytelling. Like you're in this world, you're learning background stories and lore and, um ostensibly affecting outcomes and um i don't know i just i really miss it but i do not have and, uh, the time i don't have the time anymore but i used to like guild wars 2 uh so i i understand completely that's this idea of finding out more about the world and having a character in that world um is really appealing even if you don't play with other people yeah yeah so Anyway, so we got a little sidetracked, but so sidetracked talking about MMOs. Okay. <laughs> MMOs are fun. Um, so yeah. you pitched the article. 
well, it gets either accepted or rejected. If it gets accepted, then then what do you do? Then usually you have a deadline or you work with the editor on the deadline. And you have to keep the deadline reasonable. If you have travel or if you have um, something in which you'll be out of contact for a while, kind of ask to extend it. You know, plan around that. But at the same time, um, most... Deadlines I have are about two weeks, within two weeks of the pitch. Uh, some places are longer, some places are shorter, depending on their own turnaround time. Mm -hmm. And please, once you have a deadline, please turn it in on time. Or before the deadline. Yeah. Please. Don't be late. As, as a writer and as an editor, please, please do that. Unless something, unless an emergency happens. Right. Like, obviously, if you're, you know... If, God forbid you're in a hospital or something, then that's one thing. Um, or you're traveling and your car breaks down, then you have to tell them and say, hey, my car broke down. I don't have internet, you know, here. Um, so it's good practice to kind of start with an outline or start with um, the pitch and kind of outline what you want to write about. So that way you can do it in the quick amount of time. Mm -hmm. But it's also good to have a beta reader or somebody to look it over uh, to make sure you're not missing something really completely obvious. Because if you're writing it, you know how like, oh, I missed a comma or I'm phrasing something that's so awkward that I don't catch it because I'm correcting it in my head. Mm -hmm. So having somebody else to read through it um, does help, especially if it's a longer piece. But... Um, it depends on the venue as well. Some editors will work with you on that. It's interesting because something that I've been um, thinking a lot about a lot lately. Um, in fact, I'm writing a blog post about it right now. Um, it's in the background, I can see it. Um, is uh, the value of editors and beta readers because uh, you get too close. You can't see problems with your own work after you've looked at it for so long and you're so invested in it and the value of accepting feedback. Because I know so many people who are like, will you read this for me? And I'm like, sure. Do you want feedback? And they're like, yes. And then I give them feedback and they're like, why are you telling me you're all like, this no. stuff? It was gold, <laughs> you know? And so um, yeah. just there's just so much value in being able to step back and say, okay, they're providing feedback for a reason. Um, maybe I should take heed. Um, and at least consider it instead of immediately becoming defensive. Well, it also depends on if you have a good relationship with that editor or beta reader or not. Um, sometimes it's a personality clash. That's true. Yeah. And sometimes what they think is constructive criticism and feedback uh, sounds really harsh. And that could just be the type of feedback that they give. Mm. Um, I had a workshop director who uh, did it that way, and it was really kind of tough to handle. Because um, he he was old school. He would use a red pen on everything. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. And um, at the same time, I don't want people, if I say give feedback, I don't want people to say, oh, it's it's totally fine. It was a pleasure to read and miss something completely obvious. That I hate that. I hate that so much. <laughs> I've had that happen. Like, I don't mind if you liked it, but tell me, like, can I make the sentence tighter? Or did you not understand any part of it? Did something sound kind of off? And sometimes you have to guide people into giving feedback. Mm -hmm. Can I have to prompt them? Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes they're very hesitant to say, well, I didn't understand this paragraph very well. And it's okay to disagree with, with, with the work. But a lot of articles are meant to be um, discussion pieces. They're not meant to be, this is the authority and this is the authoritative voice on this, you know, this topic forever. Right. So if you disagree, that's totally fine. But be civil about it. Yeah. I think one of the most valuable things I have found are friends who are good writers and good editors and who, um, like our personalities mesh well enough that they're like, they know 
how to provide feedback to me and I know how to interpret their feedback. You know, if something sounds harsh, I can step back and say, okay, you know, what, what's up with that instead of like having a visceral reaction to it, you know, like right. I, can, I can actually right. examine because I trust, I trust the person. Right. And that's a big, big component of the editor writer relationship really is being able to trust the person when they give feedback to you and knowing how to interpret that feedback. That's what I like about some of the smaller venues is that they do work with you to develop that. So, yeah, it's hard. You know, there's been, it's hard though. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're writing for different places and you don't necessarily know, you don't necessarily know them mm -hmm. because one place might have one style and another place might have a completely different style. And one place you might not get feedback at all. You just get, you know, yes, no, yes, no, or, you know, accept, reject, accept, reject. Um, but I've been lucky to have editors that will say, well, here are my suggestions and comments. Um, and this is why sending an article after you pitch, sending an article before deadline really helps. Because if you send it before deadline, the article, the editor usually has the time to look it over and send comments and suggestions. Yeah. So that you're matching, matching the tone of the site and that kind of thing. Right. Or saying, you know, maybe you want to um, add links at the bottom for further reading or something like that. They can add suggestions. Um, they still have time to add suggestions and you can choose to accept or reject it, but at the same time, they are trying to help you in a lot of cases. Yeah. I don't know many editors who are maliciously editing, you know, who are maliciously <laughs> editing, but at the same time, again, um, it's very easy to have a visceral defensive reaction. So it's it's useful to send articles before deadline so you have time to kind of step back and the editor has time to read it. Yeah, those are those are really good tips. Yeah. Um I think speaking from both sides. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah. nice that you have that um you know you, you have that perspective though you you have dual perspectives on it. And it also depends on the site and it also depends on if you're Sending pitches to the same site over and over and over again, you, you do tend to get an idea of what they want. Mm -hmm. And they will usually also say, okay, here's the house style guide, if they have one. Oh, nice. Here's how I write video game, for example. Two words or one word. Um, here's how we format links. Here's how we format italics. Mm -hmm. And you start learning kind of how to work with the editor instead of just throwing words at them. So, yeah, that's always nice. I mean, throwing words at editors is kind of their job to catch the words, but <laughs> it's nice to be able to work with the editor exactly. too, to, to create something and not just, here you go. Right. Work with them and not at them. Not at them. <laughs> yes. So we are pretty close to an hour. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Well, there are some, there are some games that um, I I really enjoy, but for the writing, but are hard to play. Mm. And we were talking about feedback, and that's where things can get really intense. Is you want to like this game, but if the game is very intense for you, or I don't tend to like shooter games. So if I review a shooter game, I'm going to say like, well. I'm not the best person to review this because that's not a genre that I like. Right. Um, I, because of the first person view, I tend to get very disoriented. So I'm not very good at them. Um, but at the same time, there's a difference between critiquing the piece and critiquing the person or the team behind the piece. And there's also things that you can critique while still saying, like you can critique the writing, right? and say the writing was good or the writing needs work while saying the mechanics were good or the mechanics, you know, this needs work, this aspect of the game doesn't. Mm -hmm. So there are things that you can pull out of any sort of piece um, because usually there's going to be different teams working on different parts of the game. And this is different for independent developers, but um, you know, the art may be handled by one person 
or one team, while the narrative design may be handled by one or two, you know, people or teams, uh, the writers, the you know, narrative designers, and so on. Mm-hmm. And you can talk about the art separate from their narrative to a degree. So, like, you can say, "Oh, the art is done wonderfully. It's done in this style. It really adds to the flavor of the of the world." And you can still say the characters are poorly written. You can; these are two things that can coexist. Right. Um, so, learning how to balance statements like that is useful for game writing, both talking about games and also learning how to develop them. Because mm-hmm. for Twine games, usually there's not a lot of art. So you can say, well, there's not a lot of visuals, but you can say that the writing is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, or, hey, this was written for a game jam, so I'm not expecting you know, a very polished game here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things that you can kind of temper and pull out. Um, or pull out aspects for an analysis if you're writing an you know, analytical piece. You can say... Kojima is problematic at the same time you can say this character has done really well (laughs) yeah well and that's that's true of critiquing anything Anything, really yeah it's like you know I love my husband but there are things that he does that you know drive me really irritating (laughs) and he'll say the same about me like i I love aline but she's you know not great at emptying the dishwasher because she doesn't like doing it you know like and and that doesn't mean he doesn't like me because i am not emptying the dishwasher in a timely manner Um, it's just that's annoying and i understand that that's annoying but um, right. That's my job as long as he edits the podcast as I empty the dishwasher. So that's just how it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's that's nothing is perfect. Right. There's there's always right. room for improvement in all sorts of things. But I guess don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yes. Yeah. You know, just because something could be better doesn't mean that it's not completely, completely wrong. Yeah. Just some final thoughts, I suppose. I like it. I am so glad. So you emailed me after PAX and I kept being like, okay, I'm going to play, I'm going to play the alpha of the game. And then, Oh, it's changed a lot. Has it? Well, and, and basically it's come to the point where I'm like, I am not going to be able to play the alpha of the game. Like I just, I want to, but it's not going to happen. It's also an RPG. (laughs) And I noticed that RPGs are really hard for people to test and play. Oh, there, so you yes. just can't get into them. Yeah, yeah. That you just can't. You know, I have five minutes. I'm going to start this. Yeah, <laughs> you kind of can't do that. Yeah, that's hard too. Yeah. yeah. So, but so I'm like, I need, I need to talk to her. So I'm so glad that that we finally been able to to make this work. Um, how can people find you online? I co-chair studyofanime.com. So that's one way to find random writings. Um, I'm also on Patreon. I'm on patreon.com, K-A-C-H-I. Okay. I'm also going to be um, making games for Game Jams. There's two that I'm, there's one that's in the pipeline and there's one that's going to start in October. Fun. And the one in October is actually organized by Kiva Bay from the Feminist Deck. Okay. Also past show guest. Also past show guest. Um, who's going to do a game jam based on poverty and food insecurity. So poverty is a theme. Nice. And that starts in October. So I'm hoping to do something for that. Wonderful. Um, as intense as those games can be. But you'll probably see links up um to those respective game jams because it's on itch.io okay so you'll probably see that once it gets started but those are really the best places for now okay um well you can find the show on twitter at less than or equal if you have feedback suggestions for guests or would like to be a guest please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form 
If you have a few minutes, I'd really appreciate a rating or review on iTunes. And really the best way to get more listeners to less than or equals to tell them about it. Tweet about the show, email them, um, message in a bottle, whatever, whatever works for you and your peeps. Um, thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I am Aline Sims for less than or equal.